It was about this time yesterday that Donald Trump, sitting there in the Oval Office with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, started talking about the wall and government shutdown and that sort of stuff with cameras present. And they got into a full-on negotiation about that, which I thought was awesome. I wish, I wish more of that stuff would be in front of the cameras and out in the open so we can hear their arguments. That was quite something. For whatever reason, Nancy and Chuck kept saying, can we can we move this behind closed doors? Um, I liked it out in the open, but Marshall's got more on that in his news coming up in a little bit. And uh, we're going to talk to a reporter coming up a little bit later about what are the exact battle lines on this? The government runs out of money for a partial shutdown, I believe, on the 21st. And Donald Trump, at least so far, is saying either I get funding for my wall or... Or I'm okay. I'm not going to sign whatever bill that goes through that doesn't include funding for the wall. We'll see who blinks. We always have these standoffs. Somebody always blinks. Then somebody always gets blamed. We'll see how it turns out. Um, interesting article in the New York Post about climate change. So you're seeing the riots in France that started with a gas tax hike that was proposed to, well, it was in effect, to uh, combat climate change. The idea being, you know, this money is going to go to help make the world a better place and pull back on pollutants and all that sort of stuff. People started rioting, and they've been rioting for five weeks. So I came across this article in the New York Post that I really thought was interesting about getting it right on the whole climate change, the politics of it, and just recognizing what is. The data shows... That for all the evidence that does exist that climate change is real, man-made, and dangerous, you might disagree with that, but just go with it for now. Don't get all worked up. And despite wide public acceptance of those propositions, polling does show that most people believe that, people in the United States don't necessarily want to stop climate change in the sense of being willing to pay the cost, which is the only sense that really matters. If politically people aren't willing to themselves pay a price for this, it doesn't really make any difference. Um, so in other words, we believe it's true, but think, well, you know, it's true, but I think most people have the feeling of what can I do about it? It's too far off and I'm not willing to take a financial hit for it. The public levels of, uh, the public's level of concern about climate change has not risen meaningfully over the past 20 years. So as we get more and more information and hotter and hotter temperatures and this example and that example, and you see icebergs melting and polar bears uh, having no place to stand and all that sort of stuff over the last 20 years, people's concern about it hasn't really moved in 20 years. And addressing the problem with government action ranks among one of the lowest priorities for Americans, according to a review of the public opinion literature published last year uh, by New York University. In a series of open-ended Gallup surveys this year asking Americans to name the most important problems facing the country, environmental issues never scored above 3%. If you live in an area like I do, where you're surrounded by a lot of people that talk about this all the time, it's their religion, their religion is climate change, and you can't have a conversation where climate change doesn't come up, and everybody drives a Prius or something, and you know, you're an awful person if you don't. Um, you got to remember that for the rest of the country, there aren't that many people talking about it. It never scored above 3% in all these Gallup surveys. Even before the recent riots against President Macron's climate-related fuel tax in France, there was a quieter backlash in the U.S. Anti-fossil fuel referendums lost in Colorado, Washington, and Arizona during the midterms, where people just said, you know, I'm not willing to pay extra this percent on this to try to deal with this. Undoubtedly, there have been some well-funded efforts to sow climate skepticism in recent decades. 
President Trump talks about it. But again, the polls show that most people believe it's true. They're just not willing to make any personal sacrifices for it. Slashing carbon emissions is a cause that has no core constituency with a concentrated interest in policy change, while a majority of people benefit from arrangements that currently cause climate change. And that's just the way it is, and it's going to be that way for some time to come. Which is something we have been saying for for quite a while. There was a pretty good story in the New York Times over the weekend about the last time this happened, I don't have my notes in front of me right now, which which era it was. It was many, many, many uh, tens of, I think it was hundreds of thousands of years ago that the Earth got this warm and killed off, I think, 90% of the life on Earth. And they say we could be headed toward a similar result, but their timetable for this happening was we're on the same trajectory as that mass extinction that occurred. But it will take several thousand years for it to occur if we stay on the same trajectory. And there's no guarantee that we will stay on the same trajectory. But even if we did, it will take thousands of years to occur. I was talking to some people the other night at a function who were really worried about climate change and said, we're all going to die. What difference does this make if we're all going to die? Well, if, if we're all going to die several, hundred, several thousand years from now, I'm not sure you can get anybody to sign up for an extra quarter of gallon gas tax. It's just not the way people are built. It's not the way I'm built, anyway. It's not the way they're apparently built in France. And, you know, they're they're way more sympathetic toward this sort of stuff in France than we are. And they've been rioting in the streets for five weeks over it. Anyway, I like that article in the, um, the conclusion from the political scientists that there's just no mass constituency for doing something about it, while there is a mass constituency for continuing it the same way. And that's the way it's going to be for some time to come. Now, for politicians, it is a good wedge issue, and it's something to get on the campaign trail and talk about Trump being a science denier and all that. But the realities of politics, I don't think anything major is going to happen for a very, very long time. So I want to take a break. When we come back, we'll tell you about the Monopoly Man. Yes. We want to link that at armstrongandgetty.com. When the number, it's already there. Oh, you got to check out the video. It's pretty hilarious. Good montage of the, mon- the guy in the Monopoly outfit. Uh, getting behind the Google execs at the hearing yesterday and getting in the can. He had the Alyssa Milano seat. Uh, <laughs> how do you get that? Is it that easy to get a seat right in camera view? This is the second congressional hearing that he's shown up to in Monopoly outfits. With his top hat and his mustaches and his giant novelty $100 bills. It's pretty damn funny. We have that linked at armstrongandgetty.com. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Oh, that labor man said, son, now can you sing a little bit more clear? Said you both might be to country next to American people recognize that we must keep government open, that a shutdown is not worth anything, and that you should not have a Trump shutdown. A Trump shutdown. Oh, she slipped that in there. She named it the Trump shutdown. Now people are going to think Trump caused the shutdown. Ooh. Remember the last shutdown when the Republicans were real trying to get the Schumer shutdown going because it had it had that, you know, sound Schumer shutdown. You got the shh, shh, back to back. Remember the last <laughs> shutdown? Well, the last shutdown when they were putting ropes on like forests and saying you can't go. 
that was, and you know, I don't know how many people even caught on to that, but yeah, where they were. They're putting orange cones in front of hiking trails. Sorry, re- the outside is closed today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Moose out front should have told you. The best one was the, I'm into this because I've been to Mount Rushmore in South Dakota a hundred times, but the pullouts alongside the road where you can see Mount Rushmore's from there, they put <laughs> cones there so you're not allowed to pull out. That's the government <laughs> shutdown. What the hell is that? Anyway, um, we've got more about the wall brawl. Or the shutdown showdown, whatever you want to call it, coming up in Marshall's news in just a little bit. I thought it was awesome. I wish we did it. I wish they did that every day. I wish that was on every day. Them arguing about things, and we could actually watch the discussion. How how, how are you against that? I can see how some negotiations, at least preliminarily, need to happen behind closed doors, where Nancy might be willing to say to President Trump behind closed doors, "Look, I got a chunk of new Democrats that just got elected." They're anti-ICE, they're pro-open borders. I'm not going to get them, but I think I can get this many people to go along. And Trump could say, look, I've got this many Republicans that are just won't vote for anything that sounds like amnesty. So we need to, you know, I get why that needs to happen behind closed doors, that initial conversation. But in general, the more transparency's got to be better, doesn't it? I thought that was fantastic yesterday. I've had a number of people, because I think I brought this up on the air, I must have, I had a number of people ask how the uh, blood draw with my son went, because he had a traumatic experience last time he did a blood draw, and we had to get it done, because we're we're driving to a super fancy doctor appointment yesterday, or tomorrow. Which one's the one that's in the future? <laughs> that's tomorrow? tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I get those mixed up. Really. Uh, Today was... is just tomorrow's yesterday, Jack. <laughs> Back to you. Fantastic. Anyway, so we had to do a blood draw, and um, and he it didn't go well, and he's got sensory issues and all kinds of different problems. So anyway, it was going to be a uh, have-to-restrain-him situation and knew it was going to be pretty difficult to get this blood draw done, uh, accomplished. And talking to doctors about, can, can you put them out or whatever, but nobody's willing to knock somebody out for a blood draw because there are... Though the risk is minor for putting somebody under, there is a risk there, and nobody wants to take the liability concern, and it's probably not a good idea to do something that uh, drastic just for a blood draw. But we ended up with three people holding him down. Uh, I was holding his feet. Mom had his arm, her arms around him and holding his head so he couldn't move around because obviously once you get the needle in your arm, if you start thrashing around, that could get pretty gruesome pretty fast. And then another person holding his arm completely still, and he's screaming at the top of the lungs, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, or you're killing me at one point, and this is actually, well, it's not humorous, but for some reason, well, whatever. <laughs> After she, she, in the middle of it, he screamed, am I dead? Am I dead now? Am I dead? You're not dead. Oh, he did say, you're not going to stick that in me, you effing jerks. <laughs> he didn't say that before it got started. But he was in full-on panic mode, and and I was like this as a kid, too, uh, whatever. And the fear just overtakes you. Completely irrational fear, right? The pain is is minimal. He, he does things that painful and fights with his brother every single day. It's not about the pain. It's the it's the fear. It's the, I don't know what it is. But I, I had it particularly the, as a kid, too. Partially the having something done to you, right? Yeah. I think it's, you know. And then once you start struggling and somebody start holding you, it almost becomes an involuntary reaction. You can't stop yourself from 
from fighting to try to get free, and especially if you feel like you can't breathe, and oh, it's just horrible. So then we're, we're holding him. He's screaming, I'm dying, I'm dying, I can't breathe. We're trying to hold him. They're doing the blood draw. They had to get a tremendous amount of blood, so this took a like, really long time. They just kept filling vial after vial. Then at some point he goes, and just projectile vomits oh. all over everybody, all over everything, because he is so upset and so nervous. And that was that was a fairly ugly scene. Oh. And uh, so yeah, was, that's just, man, that's one of those parenting things. Just part of being a parent. You're, all your instincts as a parent, of course, are to protect your child and, and, and keep them from pain. And there you are holding them down, subjecting them to pain for a greater good, but it doesn't feel that way at the time. Oh, that was ugly. Not looking forward to that anytime soon. And he did, he did, oh, but he did get, he did get the world's biggest Lego set because that's what uh, mom promised him. So we went to Target. He picked out a giant Lego set at great expense and spent all day and all night because he stayed up all night uh, building his Lego set. So, but he said, I'm never doing that again. Those effing jerks. He drops more F bombs than any sailor you've ever met in your life. Honest to God, this is what my son says, my six-year-old. Now, maybe you're going to say this is bad parenting, that that he says this sort of thing. I'll tell you, his older brother never says anything like this at all. So I think it's just his demeanor. Doctor ever tries to do that again, I'm going to punch him in the effing nuts. That's what he said to me. He's six. He's got a game plan. (laughs) He's got a plan. He's got a plan. So I don't know if he's going to be Colin McGregor when he grows up or... Or what? So we're going to the doctor tomorrow. Hope we can figure uh, figure something out from the blood draw. Um, back to the uh, the wall and the showdown and all that sort of stuff. I was taking in the coverage of it all day, having watched the 15 minute conversation between the president and the minority leader in the Senate and the soon to be Speaker of the House about shutting down the government and building a wall and immigration and all that sort of thing. And I was, as usual, it's eye of the beholder stuff, right? If you tend to agree with Trump or tend to agree with him, at least on this issue, which I definitely do, I thought he made really good points and I thought he was in a great position. And the longer that argument went, the best. I saw all kinds of headlines about Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi eats Donald Trump for breakfast and uh, Schumer and Pelosi own Donald Trump, embarrass Donald Trump in front of cameras. Didn't look that way to me at all. I saw it completely the other direction. I had to behold her. From the New York Times, it showcased the interplay of two politicians playing to very different bases. Mr. Trump appealing to his core anti-immigration supporters. Oh, that's what he was doing, appealing to anti-immigration supporters. You want to throw the word illegal in there somewhere, since that's what it's all about? Illegal immigration? No, you want to make it sound like he's anti-immigration and all his supporters. And Ms. Pelosi, her party's nominee for House Speaker, to the young liberal lawmaker she needs to keep in her camp ahead of a formal uh, election next month that she must win to secure the gavel. It is worth pointing out, she hasn't actually been voted in as Speaker of the House. While everybody expects her to win it, if she came out too conciliatory of that meeting yesterday or uh, sounding too anti-immigrant herself or willing to do anything about border security, she might not end up being speaker. If there's a big enough chunk of people that are anti-ICE and pro-open borders, she might not end up being speaker. There's a lot at stake there in that. And Marshall here in just a couple of minutes is going to play you another long clip of that. Good stuff. Absolutely good stuff. I want to hear this. Somebody quits at Walmart on the loudspeaker. Is that what they did? Yeah, over the uh, just the intercom. 
Right, if you, you know, we need an extra checker on aisle checker checkout lane seven. He hijacked that on his way out the door. I'm not going to teach my kids this at all, speaking of good parenting. My dad always said, like, when he put in his two weeks notice, he left the job, he worked every bit as hard as he ever did up until the last minute. And that's stuck in my head. That seems like a good way to do it. In the modern era, though, since your employers, your former employees can't say anything bad about you, no matter what you do, they can't say anything bad about you. All they can do is say, uh, Jack Armstrong worked here from November of uh, 95 to uh, to December of 2018. That's all we can tell you. No matter what I did, you might as well go out in a blaze of glory. Nobody can say anything about it. Here's somebody quitting at Walmart. Attention all shoppers, associates, and management. I would like to say to all of you today that nobody should work here, ever. Our managers will make promises and never keep them. And not only that, they will preach to us about how they care about their employees. But about a month ago, my boss, assistant manager, Cora, called me a waste of time and management did nothing to help. (laughs) Management will also try and save money every step of the way, including cutting benefits of a full-time associate down to part-time, even though he worked 40-plus hours a week. I've been a loyal employee here for over a year and a half, and I'm sick of all the bogus write-ups and my job. F*** management, f*** this job, and f*** Walmart. Was there some cheering in the yeah, background? A little there? smattering of applause there. Was that from other Walmart employees or shoppers? Yeah, a combination of both. If I'm a shopper, I'm thinking, all right, got a floor show with me <laughs> buying, you know, my groceries and uh, picking up some dog food. Got a little floor show. All right, thank, thank you, Mr. Lazy or whatever your problem is. I've His boss loyal, called him. I've been a loyal employee for 14 months. <laughs> yeah, a year and a half. What do you do, dude? You work at Walmart. So the boss said he was a waste of time. <laughs> And then what was it? Didn't have any follow up, or something. I guess he tried to take that up to higher ups and <laughs> didn't get anywhere with it because they probably said, "Yeah, you are a waste of time." You know what's a good example of that? This meeting right here that you brought us all into. <laughs> oh, oh! I am surprised that doesn't happen more often in the modern world, where your former employer can't say anything bad about you. Y- you could do p- practically anything on your way out the door, right? And they can't say anything. Yeah. They don't need to say it. It's a right. viral video now. They they yeah. Google well, this true. gent's name yeah. and they just see this now. That's true, but I I don't like that that law either. I mean, we've we've tried to hire people before and you know, you just you're look you're hearing some rumors, but you call the employers and they don't say anything but the dates they worked there. Well, come right. on, can't you give me a wink and a nod? Go like this if he stole. I mean, you know, <laughs> right. How are you supposed to know? <laughs> That's not cool at all. And I think that works mostly against good employees. Because you don't get to stand out from everybody else, um, you know, the same way that you might if they could say, look, that guy was terrible. He was a waste of time, as that gentleman's boss said. And your former employer may think you were just great, but he can't say it. Well, they can say you're great, but they can't say anything negative, and so you don't have the contrast. Gotcha. Um, What's coming up in your news, Marshall? We got another big chunk of the so-called wall brawl. What effect would a government shutdown really have? And breakfast becomes beer. Coming up. Always a good question over these government shutdown discussions. What would that actually mean to most people? I still contend most people in the country don't care about government shutdowns. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Got this text. Got a similar uh, text from a number of people who are in management. 
This is what you do if somebody calls for references and you had a former bad employee that, for instance, did that Walmart maneuver where they jumped on the microphone and told off management, the customers. <laughs> uh, a good ex-boss of, of ex-bad employees will say, if I were you, I'd check this person's references very carefully. I guess that's code for don't go there. Oh. All right. I've also heard another uh, workaround is you ask the former employee, is he rehirable? The employer. Yeah, the former employer. Would you rehire this person? Is he rehirable? That sort of thing. Yeah, not with a gun to my head. (laughs) If that's their answer, there you you go. go. Let's get the news now with Marsha Phillips. Well, during what is being called the wall brawl, President Trump threatened to shut down the federal government unless he gets money for his long-promised border wall. In an Oval Office confrontation before TV cameras with House and Senate Democrat leaders Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, all this was going down at one point. Pelosi challenged him to try to pass border wall legislation in the House, saying he wouldn't have the votes. There are no votes in the House, a majority of votes, for a wall, no matter where you start. Exactly right. You don't if I needed the votes for the wall in the House, I would have them in one session well, would be do done. It. Do it. it doesn't help because we need 10 Democrats in no, the Senate. Put it on the Senate. Put it on a negotiation. Okay, let me ask you this. Just And we're doing this in a very friendly manner. It doesn't help for me to take a vote in the House where I will win easily with the Republicans. It doesn't help to take that vote because I'm not going to get the vote of the Senate. Senate. I need 10 senators. That's the problem. You have the White House. You have the Senate. I have the White House. The The White House House is done. And the House would give me the vote if I wanted it. But I can't because I need, Nancy, I need 10 votes from Chuck. Let me say something here. Let me just say one thing. The fact is, you do not have the votes in the House. Nancy, I do. And we need border security. Nancy, Nancy, we need border security. It's very simple. Of course we do. We need border security. I am on Trump's side on this in terms of we got to secure the border. It just has to be done. And if you have to shut down the government to secure the border, what higher cause could there be? It's in the top couple of responsibilities of the federal government. But uh, Nancy's argument that you know, you, you had all three branches of government right. and you couldn't get the immigration package through. That has been true for Republicans several times and Democrats several times yep. in the last couple of decades. It's just it's it's hard to get the full constituency because there's little constituencies of I'm we got to kick out the illegals. We need to deport the illegals or I'm not going along with anything. That's a chunk of people. There's the open border crowd on the Democrat side. That's a chunk of people. There's the DACA stuff. There's wall or fence or how much money or right. there's all there's di- there's different layers of right and left on this issue and it's hard to get a big enough block to accomplish anything for some reason. Meanwhile, talking a lot about the government shutdown. Okay, turns out a shutdown would affect only about a quarter of the federal government. That's because most of the government agencies and departments have already been funded through 2019. Partial shutdown fears growing, of course, as the funding deadline of December 21st looms. And as you heard, President Trump is saying, well, uh, let's go ahead and have the government shut down if I don't get the wall for my, or the money for my border and, wall. And I think a partial shutdown is another one of those stories that's a bigger deal in D.C. than that is the rest of the country. I don't think the rest of the country hardly even pays attention when that happens. In yep. D.C., it's a huge deal. Yep. And who's going to get blamed? The rest of the country's like, whatever. Yeah, and I think that, that that's a lot, large part of it. Who's going to get blamed? Well, you know? as I've pointed out many times, that the Republicans got blamed, according to polls, for a, a, a big shutdown a couple of years back and then had their biggest win in 100 years in the next midterm. Right. So, because I think because the base fent, f- felt energized by uh, the backbone of showing that you're willing to fight so hard. So, yeah, it's a, it's a long game you got to play. 
Well, we're waiting for uh, for the word. The sentencing hearing is now underway for President Trump's formal personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, inside a New York courthouse. He could get a lengthy prison sentence in connection says with, who? with Robert Mueller's investigation into the 2016 the, the, election. The judge says who? And your okay. question is? <laughs> <laughs> How long am I going to be in jail? That's yeah. my question. All right. How old a guy is he, but 60? I think mid fifties. I'd say mid fifties, yeah. uh, maybe early sixties. I think he may be sixty. Really, I was about to say that you don't want it at that age, but there's really no point in life you want to spend five years in prison. No, not at all. Fifty two. No. It, would, it wouldn't oh, be that okay. great to spend five years in prison as a twenty five year old or a sixty five right. year old. Just never a good time for that. Well, good news, my friends. Waste or rejected cornflakes will no longer be wasted. Kellogg's is joining up with Seven Brothers Brewery in the UK. To turn their leave behinds into beer. Huh. It'll take about 130 pounds of Kellogg's cornflakes per batch of the 5% craft beer they're also planning to Also known as a out. weak serving of cereal for positive Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Kellogg says, quote, Kellogg's is always exploring different and sustainable ways to reduce food waste in its factories, so it's great to be involved in such a fun initiative with a local supplier. That is a fun initiative. <laughs> so, turning your cornflakes <laughs> into beer, mm, yum. All right, that's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. Come on, Squawky. What was the Monopoly man doing behind the Google execs at the, as they got questioned yesterday by our Congress people? Um, he has some points to make. He actually makes some good points for someone wearing a wacky costume that once included four mustaches at once. Made better points than most of the skeletons up there on the bench. I'm not exactly sure about the whole four mustaches at once look. What about the one really big mustache? <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> the giant, the one giant mustache. Right in camera shot. Did you, did you see, that, like, in the four mustache one, one of the mustaches was on his monocle? So do they do they not have a way to get an angle where they don't get these people? They can't say, can we move the camera over here so we don't get that guy? He's making a farce out of this whole thing. Nobody can pay attention it when would, right over your shoulder is the Monopoly guy. It would take an act of Congress to move that. <laughs> Indeed. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. Trump got into an argument with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi on camera today. Then, as usual, he tried offering them $130,000 to be quiet. That's Seth Meyers, one of your late-night funnymen. Uh, so the the Monopoly man showing up at the Google hearing, we'll get to that a little bit later. If you haven't seen the video, it's pretty funny. We have that at armstrongandgetty.com, armstrongandgetty.com. So check that out. We were lucky enough to uh, to recognize it was happening while we were on the air yesterday. The Trump, Schumer, Pelosi, uh, whatever you want to call it. I mean, they, they got into a discussion that got a little bit heated, certainly contentious, over the wall and funding and government shutdown, and it was an extraordinary thing to witness. For some reason, Vice President Pence was there and never said a word. Didn't feel like, since I'm sitting here, I should probably throw in something so it doesn't seem ridiculous, but no, he didn't say a word. 
Which, you know, that's what vice presidents are supposed to do, I guess. Anyway, we'd like to welcome to the program Robert Adonishi, White House reporter of the Washington Examiner, who, uh, well, obviously he reports on the White House. Robert, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. So we're trying to nail down what the particulars are here. What does each side want at the core of this negotiation? So what Donald Trump wants and what you saw in that meeting is he wants $5 billion for, for border security, which includes funding for a border wall. Now, the line is pretty much drawn in the sand by Pelosi and Schumer that they're only going to give him 1.6 for any, any more border security funding. And they also argue that they gave him 1.6 in the last spending bill that they haven't used uh, either to, you know, uh, build up parts of the border or build up um, a border wall itself. Uh, what's what's Trump's argument? I mean, is that is that a reasonable number? I haven't heard anybody break that down. Does it take five billion dollars to build the sort of security we need, or where do you come up with that? Well, so yeah, exactly. So I mean, if you recall, back about a year ago, he was locked in at twenty five billion. Now the price tags moved down to five billion, and we don't really have a, a plan in place right now to say how many miles of the two thousand mile border from California to Texas will have a border wall. Um, what does that border wall look like, height, specifications, other things we're not entirely sure about. But what they've settled on, and I think, you know, what House Republican leadership has told him is that, you know, they they can and, and, and possibly could get him $5 billion. So I think it's it's more of a feasibility price tag than it is this is, you know, necessarily what we need to get the job done. Why didn't they spend the money they got last go-round? Why haven't they spent that yet? Well, that's... I think that's kind of, you know, the big inter- interesting question, and I, I, I wonder that my, myself. But I think, you know, more, more importantly here, I think the president realizes, and, and, and one of the reasons that, you know, you saw the, the fight get so contentious is that he knows that, you know, in 2016, one of his biggest campaign pledges was that, you know, he was going to build a wall and, and reform the immigration system. If you, if you look at, you know, recent polling from um, uh, just two days ago, you know, 91% of Republican voters support him and how he's handling immigration in the nation. So I think he's trying to, you know, pander to his base and his constituency. Uh, you know, in, in the last month where, you know, Congress is held by Republicans before it goes to House Democrats, where they will be launching all these investigations into him and members of his family and his administration. So I think more or less we're kind of seeing, you know, the last-minute show of strength, or if you want to call it that, in, in the Oval Office, you know, the last-minute push for him to try to secure one of his major 2016 campaign points. Why did uh, Nancy Pelosi keep saying we need to negotiate this part behind closed doors? What what um, what maneuverings did she not want to have in public? Do you have a guess? I think it's more of a of a political posturing, right? I think that I I, I would assume going in that you know Pelosi and, and Schumer wanted to get him riled up, and 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 they effectively did that, and I think they got their their main goal there was to get him to own the shutdown, which he ultimately did. I think that her comments there that we need to negotiate behind closed doors and things like that kind of puts her and somewhat Schumer as like the adults in the room. And I think that... Really, that's interesting more, you see it that way. I saw it completely different. I saw them as yeah. being their anti-transparency, and I thought that doesn't play with anybody. That's the way I saw well, it. I wondered if well, what so, she wanted to say yeah. behind closed doors is, look, I got a contingent here that wants to open borders, and I've got to please them somehow. So, blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, but what's what's interesting is that after the cameras left, uh, both Schumer and Pelosi almost immediately walked out of the room, and so did the president. So I, I guess, you know, whatever negotiations that they wanted to happen behind closed doors or behind cameras didn't actually, you know, take place. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's fantastic. So, and they both so, want everybody wanted to run to cameras and get their side of the story out, so they could call it well, exactly, the Trump right? shutdown and, and all that sort of stuff. Exactly. I mean, it was it was it was kind of the, you know the Wall Street Journal editorial page. I think today was making this out to be a political theater, but. I mean, I, I do think to, to some degree that's what it was. And, and, and what we saw there was, you know, uh, each side pandering to their base and, and trying to make their point in, in front of, you know, cameras and show voters that, here, look, we've, we've, uh, we've drawn these lines in the sand and, and, and we're going to hold, hold true to them. Was, uh, was uh, Mr. Pence okay? Is he all right? <laughs> he was uh, stoic, to say the least. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you call him the adult in the room because he just... Sat there completely uh, yeah. quiet. <laughs> right? Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I would think it would I be human. Was, uh, I mean, you've you've probably been in meetings yourself where you feel like I ought to say something, just you know, yeah, around this table, so the boss knows I have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's he's uh, was getting a front row seat to what the rest of us were watching. Um, awesome. Probably the best way to put it, right? Awesome. Well, thank you, Robert Donashi, White House reporter, Washington Examiner. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. And as I've been saying all morning long, it's it's another one of those I, the Beholder events. I've read plenty of columns. I saw plenty of commentary on MSNBC that saw it as Schumer and Pelosi clearly got the upper hand and won that argument, and Trump was embarrassed and uh, once again came unhinged, and I saw it completely differently. The thing that jumped out the most to me was how much rhetorical dancing around the semantics of the wall there still is about this, and how much uh, the board of security, yes, we agree on that, but not the wall, right? Like... Yeah. This this insistence on the wall because that's what he said on the campaign and Democrats want to see he can't get the wall. Why isn't Mexico paying for it? When, uh, can't we just talk about the issue? Yeah. Or I don't think I don't know. But uh, one of the takeaways from the 2016 was election was the people that followed Trump took him um, figuratively, not literally, and then yeah. the other side did the reverse. And I think most Trump supporters are fine with this, as long as the border's secured. I don't care if it's a fence with barbed wire on it or a wall or drones or whatever. We just want to secure the border. It doesn't have to be a wall. Um, I think that the supporters are okay with that. I know I am, just as long as the border's secure. Whatever is the best, cheapest, most effective way to do that. It doesn't have to be a brick wall. But people like to try to beat him up on it. You said a wall. This is not a wall. This is a fence. So I don't know. God damn it. Or even if it's just a policy change that that removes some of the incentive, I think that's a win as yeah, well. I'm not sure you even need a barrier if you if you really crack down on employers uh, not being able to hire. I think that takes care of it, so that's a deterrent also. There's a lot of ways to get there. Why we can't come up with enough Republicans and Democrats in one group to get this through. They both want the issue. They both want, both sides want to run on this in 2020. Trump wants to be able to continue to say they won't let me build my wall. Democrats want to continue to say that, you know, we're a nation of immigrants and he hates, ra- he's racist and hate. So nobody wants to solve this problem. And that, it's very frustrating for those of us who do end illegal immigration. Practically everybody wants to end illegal immigration. You'd think we could get there. I don't know what's going to happen with this shutdown. I don't know if he's going to hang tight on it or, um, well, Somebody better, will give, or better take in all the trees that you can look at while you can, because once the government shuts down, the outside is closed. That's right. No hiking trails for you. <laughs> the guy's name is Ian Madrigal. Madrigal, probably Ian Madrigal. He was just a few rows behind the uh, Google CEO at the committee hearing yesterday. He likes to dress as rich Uncle Pennybags from the Monopoly game. 
Uh, and he had a top hat and a monocle and various mustaches, and he was right over the guy's shoulder, so you could uh, see him, but he wanted to get this information out. Google spent $18 million lobbying politicians last year, more than any other company. Think about that. There's some reason they did that. Interesting point. Some reason they did that. In return, Congress has abandoned its oversight role and allowed Google to wield monopoly power over every person who uses the Internet. We have no say in how Google uses even our most personal data, and the only way to opt out is to boycott the Internet itself which is absolutely true. Hey, that's a better point than anyone on the benches made during the hearing. Well, you know why nobody made that point? Because every single one of them has probably gotten a campaign contribution from Google. I'll bet every single one of them. I'm sure, like Trump used to do, they support Republicans and Democrats, so they got it covered all the way around. Google it. We can't rely on tech giants to self-regulate. It's past time for Congress to step in and do its job, he said, which is a very good point, seriously made from a guy with four mustaches. Sitting in the third row. Google spent more than anybody else lobbying Congress. You know why? That 60-minute story a couple weeks ago about the way Europe handles this stuff. They don't want any laws coming down that makes it like Europe, where that information belongs to us and you're not allowed to have it. Google's not going to let any any bill through like that. Or at least they're going to try not to. Video of the highlight montage of all the Monopoly man's antics uh, at the hearing at armstrongandgetty.com. Awesome. It's hilarious. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.